Welcome to the Immutable Mindset. Join hosts Kevin Logan Jr. and Adam Posner as we uncover the captivating human element within the Web3 and blockchain technology space. Follow along as we go beyond the trends and developments, tapping into our guests' journeys, motivations, and expertise of the visionaries who are forging the future of our digital world. Tune in and be inspired by the passion, creativity, and resilience that drives these pioneers. Let their stories fuel your own curiosity and spark the desire to be part of this revolutionary movement. Welcome to the ultimate Web3 storytelling experience. Stay curious, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Immutable Mindset, folks. Our guest today is not just a visionary. He's a maverick who has been at the forefront of innovation for the last two decades, challenging brands to build experiences and campaigns that truly bridge the gap between company and consumer. His relentless focus on engagement, be it customer, press, or social, has sparked ideas that have garnered hundreds of millions of impressions, countless news stories, and a level of product trial and adoption that might seem a bit immeasurable. He is Sam Ewan, the SVP and head of Coindesk Studios, a man whose name has become synonymous with creative thinking and top-tier execution. A true innovator, Sam's been involved in the cutting-edge fields like creative code, human-computer interaction, and AR-VR since 2007. And folks, since this is a Web3 podcast, he's no stranger to blockchain technology, having started his journey when he began mining Bitcoin out of his agency office in late 2013. Boy, do I wish I had that story. Beyond his professional achievements, Sam is a trailblazer in the world of Web3 and the host of the Gen Z podcast. His insights and conversations are shaping the discourse around blockchain and cryptocurrency and the future of technology itself. And then let's not end here, but his commitment goes beyond his own successes, people. A professor of media and propaganda at the City University of New York's Hunter College, Sam is devoted to educating and mentoring the next generation of innovators, and that's so important. Today, folks, we're going to dive and delve into his journey, his vision for the future of Web3, and his thoughts on how brands can adopt these new technologies. So without further ado, World, Sam Ewan. Hey, y'all. Thank you for Sorry, having me. Sorry, I'm very trigger happy with that air horn. It's my new <laughs> toy on my roadcaster. I apologize. Oh, good. Oh, it's no. a joy. Sam, welcome, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and uh, excited to uh, be on the box. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure there's our guests uh, that are very familiar with you and, and Coindesk, but I, I do like to bring everybody up to speed. So if you would be so kind, Sam, can you share a bit about your background, you know, a little bit about your career journey and, you know, what's led you to your role at SVP head of Coindesk? The studios, excuse me. Don't want to get in trouble. I mean, I guess the question is really how far back do we want to go? We want to go to the conception in the back of the study. <laughs> uh, it was probably more like a Ford van or something. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, for me, honestly, uh, I've always liked the idea of just putting myself into situations that seemed a little bit interesting to me. And I kind of made my careers more than my careers made me, I would say. Even back when I was in college, I was uh, at the University of Wisconsin. I was really interested in the music industry specifically around around music production because I was kind of a child of like 90s hip hop and or late 80s 90s hip hop for me there was like something really interesting about the idea that this was a this was a music that kind of anyone could do because right you all you really needed was some turntables and a sampler and you could create magic and and <laughs> exactly and um, so, I mean, I bought the, all of those things. And while I was in college, I started throwing house parties. I kind of got really interested in writing about music, which I did. I was uh, part of the college radio station as well. And then just like, I think the first big sort of aha moment for me was, um, I remember I was looking at the back of a public enemy record. I forget if it was the first one or the second one. And I saw that they recorded at a place called Green Street Recording, which was down in Soho in Manhattan. And I just called up and I said, can I come down and talk to y'all? And this guy, Dave Harrington, who was the studio manager, said, come through. And then he was like, you know, we, we hung out for about an hour. He said, oh, you want an internship? And <laughs> I like said, that. yeah. And I was like, sure, no worries. And, uh, and I like I literally knew nothing about audio recording. I didn't know anything about being an engineer. I just had literally had turntables. But I was able to kind of try by fire, just be in the studio at such a seminal moment like that, like working sessions, every, everything from Public Enemy to like, there's probably three or four songs on Low End Theory from Tribe Called Quest that were recorded there. Ice Cube's first record was recorded partly there. I worked, I ended up working on a couple of PE records. 
and you know Latoya Jackson and Bette Midler, all these different folks who came through. And I started as an intern, and then I became an assistant engineer. And part of it was just like I kind of learned really early that like asking and hustling go hand in hand. So like making your path, you know, they have and, to. They have to. I want to. I want to. I want to pause you on that for a second here, because and and I talk. I talk a lot about it on on my show. The the value of those early internships. Yeah. Right. Those those lessons learned. And one of the big ones that I always tell people, as much as you're going to learn from an internship, Sam, it's what you learn you're going to not like. And when you're trying to not replicate moving forward, was there something in those early days where you're like, shit, I hate doing this. I never want to do this as my full time job, like an element of it, a part of it. For example, when you back in those days, we would do recording sessions and sometimes those recording sessions would be 12, 15, 20 hours long and would start at like 11 p.m. Just go, you know. And so, you know, the idea of like just getting comfortable or uncomfortable with like having to break night and, you know, and at the time when you're an intern, you're just like, I'm the lowest peon. So like at four in the morning, someone being like, go get me cereal and milk. <laughs> you're on the coffee run. You know, because someone just has a craving. Right. Exactly. You know, and you're like, I'm like walking around the streets of Soho looking for any store that's open so that I can find something. Yeah, exactly. So I think I learned like in the long run, I learned that I wanted to like make my own hours. But I, I will also say that I looked at all of it with just the attitude of, again, let's like make your way. While I was doing that, for example, I also was writing about music. I was an English major and did a lot of journalism. And I remember uh, the largest hip hop magazine at the time was called The Source. Oh, yeah. So I just like, so I, you know, at some point I was just like, and it was, there wasn't email at the time. So I was literally like calling and being like, I want to write for you guys. And I, you know, at the third or fourth time, they were like, all right, send us an article, you know? Yeah, give it a shot. And so like, like I, I found it the other day, I wrote the first article about hip hop on the internet in like 19, I don't know, 89, I think it was. Cause I was like surfing bulletin boards, looking for people like me and, you know, said, oh, there's this vibrant community happening on the internet all around hip hop. You know, so those things I think were just like making your own career, even with it, you know, cause I've also worked at corporations and everything. I think it created an opportunity that where I just, said there's never like a no there's just a like how right and figuring that out i feel such a trigger moment right now sam you're i mean a different era but you know i grew up on fruity loops right so i grew up on you can make a beat <laughs> on anything so i was in a rap group from the ages of 16 to 22. oh we need to find this kevin oh my gosh it's horrible i have the cds y'all i have the cds okay that's what we used to put them on but what you know talking about the studio i went to school in atlanta i used to spend 18 hours a day in the studio and that experience of in itself is it's an amazing experience because of what you have to focus on and key on and you know even you being an intern and just being like you're just soaking it all up and it provides such a rich experience quite like the ones that we are trying to provide in everything that we're doing here i find that as a such an interesting parallel as a start for you because that's exactly all i know you know nas was my first album that made sense to me and, and really growing up in hip-hop and understanding the culture and it feels like that's what we're rehashing right now is all that beginning i get that real beginning vibe what you know it, it go ahead adam I think you know where I'm going at. No, 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 no. Go, 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 go with it. Go with it. I'm feeling it. Go, well, go no, with I was just, Kevin. you know, in terms of rich experience and, and maybe this is what you, what you were going to talk about, but you know, in, in digital advertising and experiential marketing and brand experience, you know, how did those early experiences, those, you know, it being immersed in the culture or something new, something creative and innovative, how did that prepare you for your role in web three and kind of what you're doing now and, and what we're going? It's a journey. I was fortunate enough uh, that, you know, I went for music. I realized I was never going to make enough money in music, but because I was charting things, I was charting hip hop on the internet. I started my own newsletter all about hip hop production that I put on the internet. Taught myself how to code uh, HTML pages back in the day. And then I started getting hired. You know, I was a 20 year old kid getting hired for like 75 bucks an hour to make people's web pages. So I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe actually this is the play for me. So I moved, I went and left kind of the music biz because I just felt like, I think, I mean, you know, Kevin, I, I don't know about your CDs, but I will say that one of the things I think a lot of us realize when they're in music business is there's certain levels of talent and then there's certain, and, and there's certain levels of luck. And those, those things have to synergize for you to actually make it in the music business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have someone who has a lot of talent who just doesn't get lucky and vice versa. And at some point I was just like, I think I'm good, but I don't think I'm great. Like, and I knew it, you know? And so I really loved the, the community and the, and the aspect of, of knowledge. And I love DJing and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, I just don't think this is where my, my place is. But I was like, I, I see this thing happening in tech. And at that time it was like, you know, just past the AOL years and all of that. 
I was like, I wonder if I can get a job in this because I knew enough about coding and doing this and that. I was not, not a very good coder. But so I got a job uh, as a like a producer on digital advertising. But this was back in the day when like it was like Yahoo was the biggest search engine, you know, like, you know, the, there was a lot of websites that don't exist anymore, but th that were super popular. And I was lucky enough to get a job at an agency that I just did really well at because I think I could I could speak the language. I could talk it. And I think the one thing I learned from my time in the music business and interning was like, I'm pretty comfortable in almost any room. And so even though I don't know it, I, like I know, I know enough that I can have a conversation. And in our business, like there's something just about being comfortable where you're like, you're willing to be creative. You're willing to like, just mix it up with people that gets people, I think comfortable, like, oh, this guy gets it. Let me give him some of my money to like, because he, he'll figure out what to do with it. In my agency life in the beginning, it was just like, I'm going to find out if we can do something. I'll figure out how to make it. Then I kind of, uh, one of the people who I worked with started an, ag an agency. She brought me on. I was employee number four. Uh, so we just took a, we took a bet. And that was also the beginning of, of my, my time, both in, in digital advertising, but also in experiential. Because I was, at the time, we were doing a lot of offline work. But we were focused on online companies as being our clients. Because most of them didn't know how to go offline with their advertising. And so, you know, I started number four, but you fast forward a year, two years later, I'm the president of the company. We have 42 employees. Omnicom comes knocking and buys a big chunk of our company. You know, it, we just happen to be right place, right, right time with enough talent and enough luck, right? Same, the same theme. It's the way it works. Yeah. And that was an amazing experience. And we also like, honestly, we took a bunch of money. We also burned that, that place to the ground at the end. Like we, like it was, you know, but that also like, I learned, I learned so much more in failure than I do in success. So after that, that experience, that. yeah, after that experience, I was like, I can go work for somebody else or I can try to start something on my own. And I was just like, you know, why not? And so I, I basically started my own agency in 2000, 2000, early 2001, with a focus on being the best experience guerrilla marketing event agency that, that there was. And because at the time there weren't very many people doing it. A lot of people were doing promotional agencies mm. or they were doing PR stunts, but there wasn't that many people, that many of us who were out there looking and saying, how do we actually make this into a marketing discipline? And so again, I just think I like, I just caught an early wave of what became super popular when social hit. Like we had the, you know, we had everything ready to go once social became a thing, but we had been doing it for five years, six years before that. And, and before social hit, my whole thing was, can I get the press to come out? And if I can get the press to come out, then I can exponentially make people sort of a return on their investment. I was creative enough and I like was willing to take risks that a lot of people wouldn't take in order to create that opportunity. So let me ask you this. If you kind of look back at your timeline and time capsules now, where are we on that timeline with very broad Web3? Where, where are we? Like, I think we're still pretty much first inning, maybe second at bat. We're a little past the first at bat, maybe, you know, midway through that first inning of the game. What would you say that we're at right now if you're looking at it in a comparison? I look at it a little bit different than that. And I, and I will say it because of the following, which is I don't think Web3 is a foregone conclusion. I love the technology. I love the opportunity, but there's a lot of technologies that I've been involved with in my career that are no longer around, right? I remember putting brands into Second Life in 2014, yeah. 2015. <laughs> the original metaverse. <laughs> and we thought it was gonna, right, we thought it was gonna be a thing. The, original, the OG metaverse, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and got people to spend a lot of money in, in doing those, those things, you know? Do you mind just on that piece, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by you're not sure if Web3 will make it? So the premise that I've been going on recently, and this is to some degree inspired by, by the co-host on Gen C, who's Avery Akinini from Vayner. Big ups to Avery. Yeah, Big ups. Big ups. Avery's amazing. And so the best. she talks a lot about the idea of Web3 being the era of the connected consumer. And so I buy into that, but I actually have been expanding that in my, in my thinking, which is the era of the connected consumer, the empowered creator, and the relationship with ownership. Right. And that those three things are very, very important. Mm. Now, I will say we we spoke to a woman on our podcast and we spoke to a woman named Ashley McCollum from Roblox. Roblox isn't playing that much in Web3. They've been sort of decidedly not. But when I look at something that has 60 million people a day coming in, that has 5 million creators mm. working on the platform, including both my kids, that has their own digital currency that now has built uh, and they just launched like 
two or three weeks ago, a marketplace where now people can sell on secondary markets and that they're guaranteeing 10% royalties to original creators on those secondary. I'm like, it's not that different. And I don't think we should be trying to drag them down, you know? And so I think it's more about what does it mean to be a creator today where you can have a little bit more agency over your career? What does it mean to be an investor or a collector and what you can do with, with those assets? And then what does it mean to be creative thinkers who are like looking into innovation? And I just think that the blockchain does amazing things and I'm very bullish on the blockchain. But a lot of people are trying to recreate things in Web3 that don't need to exist in Web3, but they put a Web3 layer and they're like, this is going to happen. And I'm like... Solving problems from your own created problems. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And and so that's what, why I just don't know if we, we've yet seen what it will, be, will become for us to say that, that it's a foregone conclusion. The regulatory environment in the US also doesn't help, right? And so I'm hoping that they get out of their own way in the next 6, 12, 18 months. Um, and especially when the election's coming, you never know. But I, I'm just saying, I think like where at one point we were like, blockchain is an easier way to do X. We're starting to see it may actually not be an easier way to do X. And so that's why, you know, I'm, I'm again, bullish on the over the overarching technology and the innovation, but I'm not necessarily bullish on all the use cases. I'm 100% there with you, Sam. I am 100% bullish on the technology for, for it to create efficiencies with a lot of the things that we do online. But also agreed that blockchain technology is not the solution to every single problem that we have on the internet. There are a lot of tenants for which we can use it, which, you know, are, are huge for our society. Like voting would be an interesting use case for, for block. Like there's a lot of very interesting, but a lot of the financialization things that we're using it for, you know, don't make sense. And to your end, I very much believe we're going to realize a web 2.5 world versus that web three world. And, you know, will, will there be like a dark web portion where like web three exists sure because there's going to be your decentralization maxis and your libertarian maxis that still believe in all the tenants but like 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 keeping stuff real most people just want their stuff to go faster want it to work a little bit better like so to your end roblox we don't we don't need to demonize roblox for not being 100 percent you know you know all this if there's already 50 million people then there's probably a, a use case and they probably like it, right? So I 100% agree with you that that we're, we don't need to move to a world where, only, where like it feels like there's less people that want to inhabit it versus the majority. And yeah, I just, I don't think that makes sense either. In terms of next steps and as we're, you know, we're, we're thinking about the development and, you know, obviously you, you kind of mentioned it, the regulatory environment that we're seeing now. Well, we could talk about it, right? Coinbase and Binance just happened. A lot of these bigger stories are coming out. <laughs> Where are you hearing from or where are you seeing brands? Are they pausing, do you think? Are they trying to see what happens? Is it full speed ahead? Just curious what the landscape is kind of in, in the environment we're talking about that you see. I mean, we talk to brands every week and I think brands are generally kind of bullish. I saw a tweet over the weekend and I'm, I don't remember who sent it, so I apologize by not being able to cite. But I saw a tweet over the weekend where someone said, we should make the distinction between brands that are building in Web3 and brands that are selling in Web3. I saw that. And I thought that that was a really interesting way to frame it because I think that we have seen a lot of brands who have come in and says, oh, here's an audience that has some money. Let's play with them. They say the words and they have the consultants or they have the advisors and they do the drops and maybe they partner with the artist. But are they truly committed into what it means to be uh, in crypto I got into crypto because I wanted to, you know, I mean, besides the fact that I love the innovation from a very long time ago, 10 years or so now, I like the idea that someone who is in, you know, the middle of Africa, who is an amazing designer that I can hire, I can pay them in a common currency that, that normalizes to the highest that someone will pay for it. And that that person can potentially transform their lives through that relationship in a currency that can't be manipulated by their government or our government. And I think that to me is very exciting, right? It's super interesting. And the idea of, of financial freedom and sovereign identity and being able to sort of own and have the agency around what you want in the world. So that I think is very exciting. I don't know if half the brands that are dropping NFTs care about that, believe in it, actually want that. And I think that's one of the big challenges that I, that, that I think. So when I look at Nike's drop, which I'm a fan of, right? Super accessible price point, relatively, like they had some challenges, but like generally went pretty well. 97,000 of these were sold. I got four. I have seven, I think at this point. But the thing about that is, I, what I respect is Nike saying, we don't know how many folks in crypto are buying these. On the flip, 
how many people are within our audience are now we bring into to the blockchain. And then thirdly, the idea, because, you know, the day after they, they closed it, they, they announced the thing with EA Sports, where I'm like, oh, this is a gaming play, right? Like, let's not make any mistake. This is like a new customer, but it's really about enabling a really interesting use case in something that I think we can all believe in, which is like, if I go buy some Air Force Ones and I want to play a game, I should be able to wear the Air Force Ones in the game and I shouldn't necessarily have to pay extra for it. Or I shouldn't, you know, and if I have three different games, I should be able to use that. Like, I do think that that uh, I, was, I saw a study that was actually part of the, what Roblox, um, I was doing my research with them. They did a, thing, a, a study with Parsons that said, uh, I think it was something like 60% of Gen Z folks are comfortable buying digital wearables, right? If I ask my parents, they're not interested in buying digital yeah. wearables, right? But the fact that like anyone who's grown, grown up in gaming environments is totally fine. Like I want individuality within within that world. That makes sense. And the idea that like maybe I can resell it when I don't want it anymore also makes sense. So like I did, like I look at that and I'm like they're walking the walk compared to some of the other things that we've seen. Yeah. I mean I don't know if you guys saw the Mercedes drop last I week. I did, and it sold out. Yeah, it sold out. Uh, I think I bought one of them or maybe two of them. But what I love is like, let's use generative art. Let's work with a really interesting artist. The the art kind of has a like a, a halo of machinery to it, right? But it's not so direct that it needs to be the Porsche drop that we also had. And I was like, you know what? I would put this on a frame and have it be in rotation of art on my wall. Like that would be no problem. They went the art route. Right? Yeah, and, you know, and, and so that one I was like, it didn't have very much Mercedes, to be honest, you know, but I like the idea that at least they're saying, let's look at movement and, tra- you know, and transportation and and kind of these these interesting generative forms as a way to express our, our desire to at least talk to these audiences. The Immutable Mindset is proudly supported by MetaIntro, the professional resume wallet for Web3. The multi-chain custodial wallet holds proof of employment, proof of skill, proof of education, replacing the old PDF resume. Adjacent to the project, MetaIntro runs a massive Discord community dedicated to Web3 jobs. Around 4,000 opportunities are posted in the community every month. For more information on MetaIntro, head to www.metaintro.com. That's metaintro.com or follow us on Twitter at MetaIntro. Thanks. In terms of, you know, going back to what you said originally and, you know, going back to like the killer app of crypto, it's what you said. You know, somebody somebody that designs some really cool shit in Africa can get paid in a common currency, can settle in a common currency instantaneously. Don't have to worry about your gut. Like that's within reason. Hope we get back to a place where we're, where that's like the the main conversation we're having. And then everything else is kind of on, on the back end. I think, you know, to your point, what Nike is doing is absolutely cool. I thought it was, you know, honestly, I thought the numbers were low. I think there was only 56,000 people that minted. I, I actually expected a lot larger number from that, even in a bear market. So honestly, I was I was a bit surprised by that. Just curious, how did you feel about the, the, the turnout? I was not as worried about the turnout. And I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. One, it was their first real drop. If you looked just at the analytics, right? Like they only had 26,000 followers on the dot swoosh handle. That's true. So who's getting it notified? Yeah, that's a fair point. This is not the N- N- Nike main handle, right? Not to mention you had to have a dot swoosh that's, address in order yeah, to mint, true. right? So so if they had put it on the main handle, they would have had a ton of disappointment. That's a good point. So you know what I mean? And so I think like in that respect- That's a good point. You know, like whatever. I mean, there's 360,000 people who have a dot swoosh address. So maybe- 20% of the minted. Like, I'm like, that's not terrible numbers from like, if you look at just direct response. No, like, definitely. It's, it's it's not bad from a marketing perspective. I think what they will do with it will determine. That's a good point. The opportunity. And again, at least they're trying. And I think in that respect, they have 97,000 digital assets now in the world that didn't exist. To that point, interestingly, I'll guarantee a whole new huge subset of people got super excited the day after when EA Sports announced what they announced. In fact, I literally had four friends that that asked me if it was too late to mint because they realized they had missed out. So uh, that's the, the, yeah, I had the same, same thing. thing. There you go. Yep. So kind of segueing this a little bit, I want to talk about CoinDesk and in the sense, man, me and Adam just were at, we were at consensus this year and you guys freaking killed it. I mean, I love the space. I love the section you guys created. It was a great experience of in itself. It was it was the place where we ha- we hung out the most and did our media stuff. So just kudos to uh, kudos there. In terms of that, you've been a pioneer in creating these experiences, right? That bridge that gap between the company and the consumer, as we mentioned. How do we apply that approach to build? You know, 
I know we're talking web 2.5, web three, right? But how do we, how do we take that approach to build that web three culture, a true web three culture? There's a couple of things there I think that are interesting. So when I, w- I've been at CoinDesk almost two years now, when I came in, one of the things that I was hired to do was because I have a background in experiential was to help think about what we could reimagine con- uh, consensus to be. Consensus for the first five or six years was primarily a, you know, hotel ballroom. It was New fi- York, right? Yeah, in New York, like a yeah, Sheraton, like, like very financial focused show. Then we had the pandemic, right? And then the pandemic sort of, we go virtual for a little bit. And then we were, when we reimagined it coming out of the pandemic, we were like, let's create this as a festival format, which really just means break out of our own way of like it just being finance focused. Let's make sure the culture is there. Let's have all sides. Like we really want to be the big tent of this. I feel often to be the interpreters of what's happening in the world and giving voice to the people who are building amazing work. work. And so that's why we went to Austin. Austin is a fantastic city to be able to do that work. Amazing. It was so awesome. It's the best canvas for anything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then no one's going to complain about going to Austin for a few days. No, definitely not. It's not like Indianapolis. <laughs> no comment no comment, no comment. <laughs> and i will say last year when we did it which was also in austin it was a bull market right so we had almost twenty thousand people come down last year it was wild but it's still pretty packed this year no this year we had, we had almost fifteen thousand, but there were a couple of big we were surprised by the turnout yeah no it was, it was a great turnout one of the things that that at least i looked at was you know we designed a lot of and i was instrumental working with the team designing a lot of the web3 programming and experience and one of the first things i said is we can't give stage time to people who are not building in the space. So one of the first things we, we did is we kind of, we, we took a whole group of people who normally speak at these conferences. AKA influencers. Well, personalities, influencers. And, and we sort of said, all right, they're not getting on stage. There are people who are influential and are building and who have that kind of same hype, but they're, they're, they're backing it up. And so for them, we'll give them a voice and an opportunity. Love that. Uh, um, but yeah, I was very careful to say, I don't want anyone on that stage who hasn't earned a right. And the earning isn't because you know how to do Twitter spaces, you know? And so that was one of the things that, that we did. And then the second thing was, how do you craft a narrative, which is like, you know, uh, we, we did a, a, a one day brand uh, and creator summit, which was Wednesday. So we had, we had those conversations all three days, but we did a focus of an entire day just of that. And my whole focus there was, I want people to look at people like Josie Bellini, who's building cyber brokers, or Eric Calderon, who's building art blocks, in the same way they should be looking at Salesforce and Pepsi and Anheuser-Busch. That all of them are innovators, building amazing work, are masters of their craft, and they have a right to be seen on the same level because you don't know that art blocks won't be that in 10 years, right? So let's just start it by saying they all get the same platform. And I think that was really important for me to really talk to our audience and say, you shouldn't be counting out just because there's a brand name behind it, that these people aren't also creating amazing companies and those companies deserve respect. So one little hot take, and I, and I could have taken this offline, but there's a good platform to talk about it. When we were in that side place at the Sunset Room, when they had those, those talks in there, there was a vibe and an energy and just a literally, lack of a better word, consensus of the right people in the right place at the right room who are feeding and yearning to see that audience on stage. How do you take that and replicate it in a larger space in the Austin Convention Center? That was kind of my takeaway after, all right, so here's the feedback I'm going to give these guys. How do they do that next year? But still, you always have the sponsors that you need to give the airtime to and give them the time of day. But how do you create that energy and vibe in a big room? So that was my takeaway. I felt I felt so good in there. There was great conversations. It was great back and forth and dialogue versus a big panel in the middle of a conference center where the conversations are audibly getting lost and the audience is coming in and out and being more transient. I think they both can coexist. I closed out the, the brand summit with a conversation with myself, Kevin Rose and Bobby Hundreds. And it was really to look at, you know, what will the future say about this moment in Web3? That was really the topic. And it was really, so we, we opened it up with, all these people are coming in and let's talk to OpenSea and Pepsi and people like Amanda Kassad who are writing about and creating agencies to support this. And then we closed it with what is, what, how are people in the future going to look at this moment? I want like Kevin and Bobby and Amanda and, and Raja from OpenSea, I want them to get the recognition of the work they're doing. And I think that in that respect, if we were in the Sunset Room, which was again, our, more of our Web3 hangout space, I think it would have just been too big. The crowds would have been too big. 
you know, I mean, if you put Bobby on stage or, or Kevin on stage, they're going to fill a room, you know? And so, you know, we had four, 450 people in for most of those sessions. And it was, again, it was designed the biggest brands, the, you know, the, when we, you know, we have Amazon web services talking about what they're building. I, I think that deserves a big stage. Right. But again, putting them alongside, you know, Andy Sachs, who's helping to build the Starbucks ecosystem, but who, who is a, they're, they're a smaller agency that, that, you know, has reimagined what loyalty can look like. To me, that was really important. I don't think that that stage itself didn't feel Web3 when we were there. I thought it felt very vibey. I felt like, you know, we can control lighting, we can zone sound, we can make it feel special. And last year we had a lot of success at the Sunset Room of that being our community space. And so we wanted just to keep it because we know that that intimacy matters a lot within our community. And you don't need that in the financial side, but you do need that in the Web3 side. Yeah, it was an interesting dichotomy to see a lot of the worlds crossing over. That was kind of my takeaway. Like as of late for, for me and my journey, I spent a lot of time more on the NFT kind of side of conferences and events. So for me, this was a more inclusive one of seeing the other sides, all the all the builders, the different layers and all the players that were involved in the space and how they interacted together. That, that was a personal takeaway for me. And it was cool to see the the uh, the commingling and, and seeing it all, all work together. It felt more like a space of education. It felt like a, a more constructive space where I could have conversation, where I could actually take the time to have conversation with folks. You know, sometimes the bull market can be a little bit too bullish. Uh, you know, I've been to two events where like there's a lot of a lot of different uh, projects and entities I wanted to talk to, but it was just too crazy. So I, I like that it was a little more intimate in that sense. And to that end, I don't imagine that's going to be the case long term, right? We're going to grow. We're going to get bigger. I think this next bull market isn't too far off. How do you, you know, as you guys continue to grow and get bigger, how do you keep these events more intimate? And, and you know, you continue to make sure that we are elevating those, those actual builders and pioneers that are building the foundation for what we're doing and, and not allow the, that influential side to come in at, you know, how do you scale that? I think there's two, two ways. And again, I don't love talking about other people's events, but I will say just as a comparison, right? NFT NYC over the last two years, each year has had about 1300 speakers. I may have been talking about that. <laughs> and we have, you know, 350 to 400. So we have a third of them uh, of the amount of speakers. And that's partly because one, we're, you know, we, we don't let anyone get on stages. And we also, the only way like a sponsor can get on stage is, all right, if you sponsor an entire stage, we'll give you a session. And, you know, but even that we curate because we want to make it a, a session that people will do take away, like take away from. So it's, you can't sales pitch at our sessions. Right. So by being editorial in nature from the from the, the, the jump, we allow the opportunity to say, I understand what you build. Let's talk about why that matters, as opposed to, you know, you don't see a lot of like keynote decks you know, being presented on stage is that consensus is really about a conversation. And it wants to be the most important conversation in crypto. I mean, consensus is where Jack Dorsey first talked about like block or square taking crypto. You know, we had early, you know, experiences with Vitalik and with, you know, Joe Lubin from consensus and all these like pioneers of crypto have, have been in our, on our stages. And I think they recognize that the most important moments in crypto happen at consensus. And we don't take that lightly. I think that's part of it, which doesn't mean that someone who was on stage this year, next year, won't be like, oh, that was a rug or might, you know, or might be like that person decided to go into AI. Like, like that's going to happen. But, but I think what, the one thing that we do hear consistently from people who come both attendees and speakers is, it's the most meaningful event for them to network, to do business, to invest or be invested in, and to learn. And all of those things, like if we just say that's what we want to happen out of this, then we're doing our job. Yeah, no, sorry, a million percent agree. If you're in Web3, you know you conference. I definitely have to agree. That was one of the conferences where sincerely was able to really dive deep, really take my, my takeaways. Okay, so what was the big takeaway this year that we're gonna switch up for next year? What was a big learning moment, Sam? I think we're in a really interesting space right now. So last year when we had consensus literally the week i mean it started to happen as we were at consensus three arrows capital started to fail right and then it was like voyager and then we had fdx three three or four months later that coindesk broke the story of right so like we have been seeing that this thing the, the last bill market was built a little bit on you know on an, an unstable foundation this consensus was really about what do we do knowing that right like like i sort of 
in my, you know, in my head, I look at like the, the unofficial theme being proof of humanity. Like how do we be better people with each other and how do we be better entrepreneurs, better investors, better artists, et cetera. I think we're still like figuring that out. I'm not expecting that this thing turns around immediately. I really, and I think anyone who is promising that I'd be very wary of, you know, I'm not someone like, I get that people made a lot of money with Pepe coins. I don't think that's necessarily good for our industry. I get that everyone drops a 10K NFT collection. I don't think that's necessarily good for our industry. I think we need to focus on what what is transformational and how do we get there? And and really it should be community first, I think is the real, you know, let the entrepreneurs build interesting use cases, but people got to use it and you can't force it. And I think a lot of people are still kind of in that get rich quick mindset that didn't get helped by the Board Ape Yacht Club. Regardless of what they're building now and they're building some really interesting stuff, it did not help that people were like, oh, I spent $300 and I sold something for $400,000. Because then everyone's like, I can do that too, right? But like, there's one Mr. Beast, right? Like, and it's really hard to be him, you know? And we shouldn't all think we can be in the same way that we shouldn't all think that every NFT we buy, every coin we buy, everything we build is going to be amazing. Most of it is going to fail. And to me, that's okay. I don't mind that. Man, I'm sorry, that was powerful. There can only be one Mr. Beast. Can we put that on social and put some ads to that? That's the only thing I, Sam, I freaking love this space with all my heart. I started in this space with the purity of Bitcoin and and just trying to figure out the financial side of things. But then I, I grew to love the NFT side. G- DeFi 2020 was immense to me, loved it. I love the DGENs I get to speak with, but man, oh man, and goes without saying, consensus being an, an absolute harbinger of you know the way to do it. It just feels like you know so much on social and and so much of what we do is is just this. We like to talk circle jerk, okay? We like to do this big circle jerk in Web three where we get up on spaces and we all talk about the same things and it's just nobody's pushing the space forward, okay? But then I see awesome awesome organizations like what you have, and then for instance, right, education podcasts. I see what the Gen C, what you and Avery are doing with that. Those are the things, those are the the times and events and spaces where we can educate in a way that's going to make sense to people. Because even when I say bull market, I don't mean money. I actually mean adoption and education. Like I really care. I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. I want this space to be somewhere for them, right? And so I'm talking about the podcast and what you guys are doing with, with Gen C and, and even what me and Adam are doing here with the Immutable Mindset. We care about adopting the next human being and not the next billion. In terms of what you guys are doing with Gen C, I, I listened to um, a couple episodes the other day. You guys are tackling some of the challenges of Web3. What are some of the most you know interesting topics or guests you've had in the recently? Or yeah, just, and I, I mean, obviously I know the state of things right now, so I'm sure you got some, some interesting things you're, you're diving into. Well, first, I want to jump on what you said, though, for a second, which is the two, I think, two most damaging things that we have done Web3. The first is that we all believed that WAGME was a thing. Oh, my gosh. Right? The idea that we are all going to make it is... Triggering. Triggering. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not just triggering. It's false. False narrative. It's, but it's almost more like there's fraud it's based disgusting. in it. Right? Oh, 100%. Exactly. You know, the idea that like... And, and if you remember those early days of 2021, early 2022, anyone who said anything negative about any collection was dragged, right? Like, like you, you couldn't be negative about the space. Anyone who's been through business as long as we have has known that things are, things are cycles. But we like, there was such an up optimism that was really damaging. And then, so, so one win is Wagme, I think was such a challenge and should never have happened, right? Number two is this sort of, almost mimetic that people talk about of the next hundred million users, the next billion users. When they talk about that, they are talking about exit liquidity. That's all they're talking about, right? How many people are coming in to say, we need a hundred million users. Why? Because someone has to buy my bags. That's the only reason they're doing it. To your point, Kevin, they're not doing it because of the technological adoption. They're saying that's how the collection price rises. And like, I'm a Chromie squiggle maxi. I want that to be worth, you know, a million dollars, a billion dollars. I would love that. It doesn't mean I'm going to sell it though, because it, it has more meaning to me. And I, you know, are there a couple of artifacts from this age that I think in the future will be looked at? as these were those sort of totem moments and, and, and objects that we should be collecting, 100%. 99% of these things are going to be completely worthless. I look at my wallets every other day and I'm like, why did I buy that, right? I didn't need that. And then when I look what I spend on some of it, it's crazy, right? But the fact is, like, we were, we were all playing the game and I just think it's okay. Can I, I respond to that too? 
please. Sam. Yeah, please. Sam, we are here because of Wag Me. We are in this exact stupid ass place because let's let's keep it real. The the fraudsters and scammers figured it out. It's like politics, right? If you talk shit about your side, well then how dare you? And that's what happened. Wag me. And so I saw so many people become bag holder, diamond hands, right? Like even diamond hands, same bullshit narrative that creates exit liquidity. And I'm sorry, but you you gave me goosebumps when you said that. That's exactly what I say. Any single, I've been saying this for so long, any single time I hear anybody say, we're going to adopt the next billion. Number one, I know you're full of shit. And I know you have the biggest bags that are down the most. And you need a, you literally need a billion people so that you can break even. That's what it sounds like to me. That's how much bullshit we're hurling at the average user or the average person who doesn't understand this space. And so to your point, we even talk about like our, our, our mom and dad, but even that's the lowest common denominator, right? Like my sisters grew up with an exponential technology in their face, a cell phone. So this all makes total sense to them and they want nothing to do with it because of wag me, right? So interestingly, we've created this culture where we're not including we're excluding, which is the opposite of what blockchain technology is supposed to be doing. Sorry, you gave me goosebumps mm -hmm. when you said what you said, because it <laughs> pisses me off. This is exactly what I've been talking blame about. Blame the Sam. apes. Blame the apes. I, actually, I don't blame the apes at all. I, what I blame is a culture that doesn't want, that wants to support cognitive dissonance at its core, right? The idea of you being an ape, most apes also bought a lot of other stuff that's down, right? Very true. You know, and they also like, there's a ton of manipulation that happened behind the scenes that we all know of. These groups of people who were like, let's pump this. And the players are still here today. Right. Well, a lot of them are still here. So some of them got wrecked. And, and, but, um, but the fact that we allowed it to happen as opposed to saying, you know, and, and again, because we were like part of this rallying cry that like Randy Zuckerberg makes a song about, <laughs> you know, and she, and she was just part, like she was just part of caught up in the hype, like everybody else, let's be honest. Right. But I just think that we having intelligent conversations about the ills of the internet and the, and the beauty of the internet, the ills of social media and the beauty of social media, the ills of AI and the beauty of it. And same with, with web three is important for for us to move forward. And I think we can do that with intention and, and with like intellectual, like honesty, and we can bring something to it that I think can be transformational. We just got to get there to your other question. Gen C. Um, Please. So Sorry. what we do. Good memory. Super yeah, memory okay. that one. yeah what, what we're doing with Gen C is when Avery and I decided to do the show was there was no one who was just week in, week out documenting how brands were getting involved in the space. And so what we wanted, we wanted to have on record these people who would talk about their explorations. Some are skeptical, some are, are bullish, but thinking, you know, if we buy the premise that Web3 can be transformational and we buy the premise that we can't just get there with Web3 brands, that we're going to need some of the other brands in the world to, to adopt this, the Nikes and the Starbucks and the whatever of the world, then I wanted to be like, I wanted to hear those people early. So we had that on record as here's people and how we're doing. And secondly, how do we train other brands who are interested in doing that? Right. So like our first guest that we ever had, we're, we're recording episode 30 this week. So we're, we're 30 deep. But our first guest was Matt Kalish, uh, president of DraftKings. DraftKings, yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So Kalish is great. But the thing was, he comes on and he's like, like, you almost can't think that why weren't they doing this? Right. Like that mindset, their audience, it all made sense. Well, fantasy football and the idea of trading players and, and, and building a team and data informing stats that make uh, one asset or, or another less or more or less valuable. Interesting that, analogy. Yeah, that that is like that is crypto, right? And that is <laughs> that's what I said. I always say we're in Final Fantasy. That's what tribal is. That's why we're all tribal. Yeah, and they're and they're Rainmark Makers Project. To me, I was like, like that's it was such a good first brand because like that it just it fits them, which doesn't mean by the way that Clorox needs to do it, you know. And so part part of what we do is kind of look and say, you know. It doesn't mean like we don't need, think every brand needs to be in this, but the ones who it matters for, it matters. So when you have Kalish or, or we had Sophie Kelly from Diageo talking about how it usually would take them a long time to sell out rare spirits. But by putting them on chain with people who get value in collectibles, they sell out their rare spirits collection in 12 minutes. That's like a different audience, a different way of thinking about it. And, you know, and so what we tried to do is highlight those stories. And we've also spoken to people who are like, we're trying. 
Like we, we're not full in. And I think that's important to be able to look at that. So, so you know, that was part of the idea around this was talk to people of, of all different types. You know, we have a couple of key Web3 brands in there, but most of it is Web2 brands, Web1 brands that are saying, I wonder if there's a place for me here and I'm, I'm going to try, you know? And I think if that can help inspire the next brand to say, oh, maybe I can do that too. I think that's really important for us to have that record. I love that. And I wonder if there's a place for, for me here and uh, we ought to try. Sounds a hell of a lot like what uh, AI is today. You know, you, uh, you recently tweeted about a generative art project you guys are working on. I believe it's Smoke. Pronounce smoke <laughs> with a three, smoke three, uh, smoke three, uh, smoke three, smoke, 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 yeah, smoke however you three. want to. Pre- yes, this was not an AI project. The three is no generative yes. art. No, this, no, no, no. <laughs> segue, segue. This what this wasn't generative oh, art. No, either. this was a no. This was a, this was commentary because we were we were we had the smoke coming in from Canada, <laughs> and all that was was <laughs> so that was that was that was just a weather map that I said it looked like a gen art project. <laughs> And so I basically was just making a joke. I'm but shocked I, that no one even created some, that. I mean, it was, it was wild. But I, I love I'm that gonna, we I'm thought this meme was myself real. Now. Allow me to meme myself then. Uh, the, the, meme myself and, Hey, has anyone done meme myself and I? Because that would be a perfect thing. I have three ideas that just hit my head right now. I, I'm, I need to write this down. Yes, I, I'll be doing it. Tell us all. Anyway, going back back to the hip hop. That's stories. right. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I know we are uh, we're getting here close to the end of our show. But, you know, you know, one of the things, of course, I'm supremely curious about, especially now that we've we've, we've dove deeper and, and you're just a, a wealth of knowledge, um, you know, Web3 and just obviously your own experiences. But what what can we what can we expect from Coindex Studios in the, you know, the coming years in terms of development initiatives? Obviously, we talk about new technologies like AI. Yeah, just curious. Uh, so Coindex Studios is two different things, really. It is one our kind of how do we make our own products more interesting? And so whether that's consensus, whether that's our audio and video products, add a layer of innovation and creativity to it. Uh, and so that we're going to keep doing. And then the other thing we do, one of the things that I think, what's very interesting, and, and, and again, part of the reason with Gen C, we talk to very seasoned professional marketers about how they think about this. Now, we also, as Coindesk, get a ton of advertising from new crypto companies. And one of the things that we noticed was not all of them are seasoned marketers. A lot of time, it's an engineer or an engineer and a UX person who have a great idea who suddenly raised $5 million. Yes. And now they're like, how that's, do we bring this out? That's what we work with. Yeah. yeah. And so we we at Coindesk Studios basically wanted to say, hey, how about you come in? Let us sort of teach you how to talk better to our audience. Uh, and so, okay. so like we that. are kind of an in, yeah, we're almost an in-house creative agency mm-hmm. that we will work with, you know, anything from protocols to platforms to exchanges a couple of NFT projects, not that many, but, but but there's been involved. Have you heard of the immutable mindset? <laughs> the immutable mindset, a wonderful project. <laughs> so we basically utilize classic marketing techniques and classic media techniques nice. to say, if you're going to spend money with us, why don't we like help you talk to the audience better? You know, like the amount of people who are like, great, I'm going to run 26 weeks of advertising on a single banner creative. <laughs> You know, like, it's, like, and it's, it's just because they don't know. Right, right. Like, and that, that's, that's the reality, that's right? It's, a, it's like, oh, we have to run on Coindesk. And you're like, what do you want to run? And they're like, oh, let me make yeah. something. Here you go. Just right? banners. Yeah. And so I think that, like, that's a lot of what we kind of do is just try to help people, like, connect to their audiences better, which I, I love that because I think there's, like, so many brilliant minds in the world. But that doesn't mean they've had 20 years of, you know, being a CMO. So we kind of help help plug that hole. Well, I have my final question in my head. Adam, was there was there a final question you wanted to ask or should I just get this one out of out of my head? Okay. All you, buddy. Well, I'm going to put your feet to the fire, you know, kind of based on the conversations we've had in terms of what we're going to realize over the next five to 10 years. Just for the record, I watched Ready Player Me last night for, I don't know, the 30th time. Each time I watch it, like this is Ready Player One, by the way. I'm sorry, Ready Player One, Ready Player One. Excuse, sorry, Ready Player Me, my bad. Back check, check, back check, sh- back check. Sh- shout out to Ready Player Me. Shout out to Ready Player Me. That's absolutely right. <laughs> but um, you know, the more and more I watch it, the more and more like honestly, I think that's like I seriously think that's not not the dystopian other side, right? But in terms of like the gameplay, it feels like that's honestly where we're gonna go more and more. AR, you saw what Apple just did. Is Web three going? I, I know you said you don't think so, but feet to the fire right now. In five years, is there going to be a Web3? Is it going to be bigger than Web2? It's, I think it's the wrong question. I only say because because Web3 should be a natural evolution of Web2, right? And I also say it in the sense that if we're building on top of and just trying to make efficiency better, 
then there's an opportunity for us to do that. I will, I'll reframe the question in my answer, which is, uh, and we'll go back to our early, earlier conversation in hip hop. I forget the name of it. There's a documentary on Netflix about the origins of hip hop. It's a four episode documentary. I don't know, but and I've one of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hip hop explain, I don't know, it's something, whatever it is. And there's a moment where uh, someone is talking about t- trying to convince Adidas that they should get in bed with Run DMC. And they're like, we're a German oh, sneaker brand. Oh, the last thing we're going to do yes, yes, is yes. hang out with these black yes, kids yes, yes, in, yes. you know, in urban centers and doing we're talking it. talking about that on, in the movie air too. I think. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. And then they bring them to the show and they say, my Adidas, everyone in the crowd holds up their sneakers. And then they're like, we got to get in bed with these people. Right. They, they like, they saw it. And I, I bring that up because I do think it's the community that drives the interest. And our community is still pretty small and we have to get bigger. And I think whether it's, are we going to be in headsets like Ready Player One, or we're all going to be connecting wallet, it's going to be driven by whether it's a need that people are saying you can't help but avoid. And so therefore, let's, let us answer your call. And that's the way we get there. And so again, that's why I don't, I really don't shit on like the brands that are trying right now. There's a couple I do, but most of them I don't because I want them to be trying because someone is going to unlock something. Yeah. Right. I don't know if Starbucks Odyssey is it yet. I don't know if Nike Swish is that yet. I don't know if LVMH is it yet, whatever. But someone's going to unlock something that's going to take us from 10,000 holders to 100,000 holders to a million holders. And, and I think the value of those things is going to go down. The, the, the speculative value of those things goes down as the adoption goes up. And then someone's going to turn around at some point and say, oh, I can I can change the world this way. Right. And that's going to be the moment that I think we have the opportunity. I don't know if we're going to get there. But I think that it, we have the opportunity to try in a way that I think has borne out that it's possible. Ooh, goosebumps. I, gosh, I hope you're right, Sam. Gosh, I hope you're right. I grew up overseas. So, you know, your, to your point about, again, you know, like that person in, in, in Africa, that, that's, that is just what I hope happened. So amazing show, amazing show. Folks at home, we dove into Sam's insight, insights into, well, what I did not expect, hip hop, Web3 culture. The role of brands in adopting new technologies, the potential use cases that bring the masses to this technology. What's Coindesk doing? What do, they, what do we see them doing in the future? We talk their podcast, Gen C, and what's going on over there. Guys, wealth of information. Sam Ewan, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. All right, let's go. We highly recommend checking out the Gen C podcast. For further exploration into blockchain and cryptocurrency, check Sam out at twitter.com forward slash Sam Ewan. That's E-W-E-N. And at coindesk.com. Again, appreciate you for joining us. Please, is there anything else you want to tell the people? Just I appreciate you guys. Thanks for giving me the time and hopefully see you in Texas next year. Heck yeah, we will. Heck yeah. And to listeners at home, appreciate you. Thanks for being a part of our journey. Until next time, please stay curious, my friends. Have a fantastic Friday. Thank you for listening to The Immutable Mindset. We appreciate you for joining us. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Immutable Show. Subscribe, comment, and network. And catch us next week for more. Take care, folks.